What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show, I am bringing back a previous guest on the show. I talked to this gentleman about a year ago, right before COVID. And on this show, we got an update on how his year went as a real estate investor and developer and where he thinks things are going in this new environment we're in. Welcome back to the show, Marco Santarelli. Welcome back to the show, Marco. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dan. It's good to be back on. It's been about a year. It was, uh, I think, right before COVID broke out when we <laughs> had our last recording. Yeah, so I was checking the notes before we started here. You were on episode 123, which we, we published uh, the end of March in 2020, which means we probably did the interview uh, in February. So about, about a year ago, so you were probably one of the last people that I talked to before COVID and the lockdowns, you know, dramatically changed our uh, our landscape. Yeah, it did. <clears throat> it did. It kind of put everybody into a bit of a free fall for about three months. And, uh, you know, people weren't sure if they were going to be out of a job or if their business was going to be affected or shut down. And, you know, the media playing up the pandemic as something that in most people's lifetimes they've never seen. So the question was, what's gonna happen over the next coming weeks, months, and even maybe a couple of years. And I know that we, for about a period of two months, had a bunch of investors cancel contracts that they were in escrow for to purchase investment property. I'm sure you saw the same thing. Um, fortunately, it was short-lived. I mean, it came, it came back after about two months or three months where people were saying, hey, you know, the sky's not falling, let's just get back to business as usual. But it was an interesting time because we've never seen anything like that, nor have you, nor has probably anybody listening to your show right now. And, uh, well, we're living through it. You know, it's a year later. And I, I mean, it's been bad for a lot of people. But you and I both, you know, said it just before you started recording that for a lot of people who own businesses that are service based other than restaurants and hair care, uh, it's, it's actually been a pretty good year. So. Yeah, it's been interesting to see who's been impacted, who's not, and, and some people are having their best year ever. Some people are are not. There's, there's this definitely this bifurcation depending on what you do and, and how big yes you are. I think that's definitely at play. You know, we've got our hands on the in the, the retail side with our our brokerage and the investor side with the projects we're doing and. You know, we didn't see much change on the on the retail side. Like people in the Washington D.C. market still buying homes, and you know, you had to change how you marketed them, how you showed them, how you met with the clients, that kind of thing. Uh, saw more changes on the investor front, especially in the beginning. Like, you know, different types of investors were just kind of hoarding cash or pulling their money for a while, or banks were getting tighter. But, but even that kind of, you know, was short lived. Maybe 30, 60 days, and then. Um, it was almost back to normal, uh, just a, a different type of normal, I guess. But what's, what's, uh, you know, give our, give our listeners and viewers out there today an update. What's, what's been going on the last year for you and, and how has COVID impacted you and, and what are the biggest lessons you've learned from it? Well, 
investors, like specifically real estate investors, they've not pulled back. They, they, they took a break for about a couple of months, like I was saying before, after COVID broke out, because, you know, the news was just playing it up and there was all these unknowns. But people came back like in droves to buy real estate, invest in real estate, mostly residential, but even the commercial space has been very busy with the exception of retail, of course. <clears throat> but, you know, what's very interesting is we had a problem before COVID and it was uh, tight supply and strong demand. Interest rates continued to drop, driving more demand because people were coming out of the woodwork to buy, buy and invest in real estate, whether it be commercial or residential. So interest rates were dropping, affordability was increasing, people were coming out and an interesting problem happened in the, in the fall last year or no, in the, in the spring last year. The investors who were coming into the market to buy real estate, mostly I'm talking homeowners right now, not investors, they were looking for inventory. Problem is, is that because of COVID, a lot of the people who would normally put their properties on the market didn't. And so there was already tight inventory, but then it created this massive shortage of supply because about 40% of those prospective home sellers never actually put their inventory on the market. So now you had 40% less inventory in, in, in the spring. Plus you had investors and homeowners coming out to buy with historically low interest rates and they couldn't find inventory. So whatever was out there was being gobbled up, multiple multiple offer situations in many markets around the country. And so, you know, there was less than two months of supply in so many markets around the country. So we've got this ongoing problem now of tight supply, strong demand, the demand is increasing. Um, we're actually running a deficit of about 400,000 housing units per year short compared to demand. And Fred, Freddie recently came out and said, Freddie as in Freddie Mac, they recently came out and said that by the year 2030, so less than 10 years from now, we're gonna have, depending on what numbers and reports you read, an, a housing unit shortage of between a million units on the low end and 4 million housing units on the high end. That's in less than 10 years. So the problem we have today, and we've had for many years, is growing even worse. Builders have picked up on this, actually. So you've heard this old model, build to rent. You know, they figured out that there's, there's demand for not only homeowners, but demand for investors to build rental property. So they're getting on that bandwagon. They're, they're putting product out. But the problem is still the same thing. They can't put out enough product fast enough to keep up with investor demand, let alone homeowner demand. So it's an interesting problem because if you're on one side of the equation, you're doing extremely well. If you're on the other side of the equation, you're you're suffering because you can't find inventory to buy, or invest in, or live in. <laughs> so, it's an interesting problem. So, do you think, uh, and what role do you think inflation is potentially playing in, and you know, like the Fed kind of monetary policies? We've we've seen a lot more dollars pumped into the system, and and so prices on all like real assets are are going up. So do you think that's going to exasperate this or not really matter? Or what, what are you, what's your take yeah, on that? That's a very interesting question because we, last year, we, the, 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 the monetary policy that, that was implemented last year because of COVID created 25% of all the currency, the M2 money supply that ever was created in existence here in the U.S., so just think about that. In one year, we created 25% of all currency ever created in the U.S. 
you, you would think that would lead to massive inflation, if not hyperinflation. Could that happen? Possibly. Will it happen? Nobody knows for sure. We actually haven't seen the overall impact of all that currency creation yet. Uh, you know, obviously, you see that in certain sectors like um, like um, education and healthcare. You know, prices are just keep continue to go sky high. Um, but we don't see it in a lot of other sectors, especially like you know, consumables, con uh, electronics, and whatnot. Will it impact um, the housing market? Probably at some point. I, I really don't know. I mean, you, you listen to guys like Peter Schiff, they say one thing. You listen to guys like, I don't know, uh, I don't know if Harry Dent's on the same side of the fence, but other economists, and they're saying the opposite. What, what, I, what I am observing is that we haven't seen the impact of all that currency creation because it's either A, being held on corporate books, B, it's being exported to other countries in exchange for imported goods. So we're exporting our inflation. So the, the, the currency is out there. And then there's this other concept where you give people, you know, a $1,400 support check or whatever it is, you know, uh, all these, these, these um, support payments, basically stimulus, you know, uh, distributions. People hoard it. They do one of two things. They either pay their bills like they normally would as if they were employed or they hoard it. They, they basically put it into savings and it doesn't get into the economy. Well, if it doesn't go into the economy, there's no velocity of, of money. And if there's no velocity of capital, you don't see the inflation because people are choosing not to buy. So the inflation hasn't hit yet. We have still that nominal two, two and a half percent, uh, if you believe what the government tells you. Otherwise, it's probably more like three, four, five percent. But, um, but at some point, those chickens will come home to roost. <laughs> we'll see more inflation. Yeah, I, th I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. I've, I've heard less people talk about the, the shortage. You know, you, you kind of hear it um, <clears throat> city by city or, um, or um, you know, and, and, you know, realtors will say in this market, we've, you know, a month supply, two months supply, like DC yeah. is typically one to two months, but I haven't heard it put in terms of like 400,000, you know, now, but maybe a million or, or, or a couple million in, you know, under a decade, like what, I can only imagine what that would do to, to the cost of homes, to, to rent, you know, price of rents. Well, right now it's doing three things. It's increasing occupancy, um, rates it's increasing rental rates and it's increasing property values because what we're seeing is price inflation driven by demand not not anything else right it's, it's just a tight supply strong demand and people are buying up what they can because they can afford it right the, the interest rates are so low that they can actually afford to buy property in fact in in most cases you know with except few exceptions but in most cases Housing is more affordable today than it was a year ago. And the reason for that is because interest rates have come down enough that the monthly payment is lower today on that same property that's more expensive than it was a year ago. So even though prices have been going up, people seem to think, well, affordability is going out the window. Well, that, that might be true in some markets, like more expensive markets, what I call a tier one market, parts of New York, LA, San Francisco. There are corrections going on there too, but the thing is, is that with interest rates continuing to go down, the monthly payment for that same property is lower than it was a year ago when the property was a little less expensive. So yeah, I um, I actually just did a refi on on um, you know our house, and 
yeah we refined right before covid and va so rates are a little bit better than conventional but i i got i got it down to 2.25 <laughs> and my first my first payment you know on the amortization table like this still shocks me uh the principal was higher than the interest on on payment on day one and, and I remember just a few years ago when like the rule of thumb was like 80%, you know, goes to interest or, um, so it's just, it's just amazing how, how low the rates are, are going. And that, that definitely, I think even with big price jumps has, has made it in terms of like, you know, the cost of living, it's, it's act, it act, you know, even though you're paying more for the house, it actually is cheaper. Um, you know, with, with that in mind, are you are you more from an investor standpoint? Are you more bullish on you know projects that that you build to sell or projects that you build to to rent and hold? Um, well, both because whatever whatever you're building is selling. You know, it, 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 I mean, if it's a good product, it's going to sell quickly. So um, th this is the problem builders are having. And, and, and if you look even be behind what's happening with builders having a problem, put, having enough inventory to sell to the market, there's also a problem behind that. And that's finding enough land to build, like buildable lots, buildable land that's developed and entitled that the builders can now acquire. That way they can build product to sell. Otherwise, if they can't get the land, they can't build and they have nothing to sell. So they're gonna go out of business. So. There's, you know, there's this also this this strong demand for buildable land, buildable lots, uh, you know, which is which is also a business that I'm I'm a, a silent partner in as well. So I I can see that trend and builders are. There was actually an article in the Wall Street Journal just um, less than four weeks ago, just talking about this this nationwide problem of of lack of buildable land that's ready today to build on for for builders. So builders are struggling on both ends. They can't keep enough supply. To, to, you know, to, uh, to sell to their customers and they can't find enough land fast enough to build on. So, it's, so I, you know, I, I'm bullish if you're involved in the business because the demand is there. From an investment perspective, it's been a great time to be investing in real estate for many years. And it's still a great time now, if not better than any other time because interest rates are historically low. Demand is, is through the roof. Um, uh, the numbers still make sense in a lot of markets, especially the 25 markets or so that we deal in, um, you know, which are for the most part, what I call secondary or tier two markets, um, where prices range from hundred to maybe $180,000. That's a wide range, but that's a three bedroom home. And they rent for anywhere from 0.8% of that purchase price per month to 1% of that purchase price per month. So $150,000 three bedroom home, it's renting for 1,400 to 1,500 a month. That's that's pretty normal. <clears throat> that's the sweet spot. That's what we focus on. And so I'm very bullish for that. But if you're an investor and you're, you know, you're not in the market, you're not in the game, you're missing out. You're missing out on the equity growth on that amortized loan. You're missing out on the equity that grows through appreciation over the years. You're missing out on the cash flow from that business. You're missing out on the depreciation that you know, it's a great tax write-off for, for any passive income you have. Um, if you're not in the game, you're missing out. If you're standing on the sidelines, back to your point on inflation, inflation is going to eat away at your savings uh, consistently year over year over time. And so you're, you're losing. You're losing if you're a saver. <laughs> um, but then, you know, the one thing we haven't even talked about is Gen Y and Gen Z. I mean, we've got 
potentially 72 million Gen Y and 72 million Gen Z that are also coming out of the household. They're coming out of their parents' home uh, or they're you know, getting married and they're now gonna be buying. Where in the hell are they gonna buy, right? There's huge demand there. So they need to rent or buy somewhere. So you need to get into the game as an investor and, and have something that you can provide to those guys. And right now, you know, just with everything you know and, and seen, are you are you more focused on the, the the you know renting and holding side, or 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 projects that you can flip? I mean, it sounds like you know you're in the land development deal. That I'm I'm sure that's like a you know get it entitled and flip it. Um, I know I know you do a lot with uh, you know buy and hold strategies as well. Like which yeah. which strategy right now are you most excited about or, or do you think it really doesn't matter everything's good well no question about it definitely buy and hold because you don't get any of the benefits of real estate unless you're buying and holding and building a portfolio you you, you should be adding to your portfolio if you're just starting out get that first property then get that second one as quickly as you can and keep building it and, and just focus on one market and buy three to five houses in that first market, then move to a second market geographically different than the first and add another three to five properties there. You want to do this as quickly as you can based on your cash and your investable cash and your credit. Um, but definitely bullish on buy and hold. You, you want to build and need to build a portfolio. And if you haven't been doing this over the years, now's the time. I mean, it's the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The second best time is now. So, um, if you're in the flipping game, first of all, that's not investing. That's a business. You're, you're, you're flipping houses as a transaction and you're hopefully making chunks of cash, like a profit. <clears throat> but, um, but that's very tough to do today because number one, anybody in that space is chasing after the same limited supply of product. So it's hot, very competitive. And um, well, that, that is really the main problem. So if you, if you can succeed at doing that, great. You know, I, I, I don't discourage it, but it's not something I want to do or focus on. I, 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 I don't like the active parts of real estate, like, you know, buying, fixing, flipping or rehabbing properties. It's okay. I've done a lot of it, but I'd rather buy income producing rental property that I can hold today and let it grow in value over time and just generate cash flow from it. So what, um, I know you mentioned you're in the secondary markets, like 200K and below uh, typically, like, you know, what, what, what areas, what geographic areas you mentioned 25, but like, what are, what are some examples, just the types of areas that you're looking in and, and the, and uh, the specific types of properties that you're, you're trying to get. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll name some of them. I mean, they're all on our website, um, but just kind of starting from the north down, there are two pockets within Pennsylvania, the greater Chicago area, not the heart of Chicago, but <clears throat> the outlying um, cities surrounding Chicago, which actually, interestingly enough, spills into Indiana, uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, Kansas City, Missouri, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, a couple other markets in Southwest Florida, which are very strong in growth. All your uh, County down there. Yeah. Lee County yeah. and just North of it, the, the three counties just North of Lee County or two counties North of Lee County. Uh, th those we're in five cities in those markets and it's all new construction. Um, so very strong growth area, lots of jobs, population growth. Those are the key things we look for. 
um, Houston, Texas, the, the Houston Metro, uh, the, the San Antonio Metro, and then that corridor between San Antonio to Austin is strong growth areas uh, right now. Uh, we have new, more new construction. In fact, I just had a, a, a meeting with my builder this morning uh, for a new development that's going to be released in a couple of weeks. So that's going to be pretty exciting. I, I'm not sure if those are duplexes or single family homes, but it's probably a combination. So San Antonio has been very strong um, on and off Oklahoma City. It's hard to get inventory there right now. Yeah, so I was so, going to ask, you mentioned duplexes, but are these are these typically or single families that you're in these markets that you're getting or, or, or duplexes or townhomes? The bulk of it, I'd say 75 to 80% is single family. And then the remaining 20, 25% is made up of duplexes, triplexes and fourplexes. Like we just opened up a development in the greater Phoenix area uh, where we're building new construction triplexes, which is unusual because they're either duplex or fourplex, but th this particular development because of the lots that are available there, we can build uh, triplexes. So, so 25% of what we sell are gonna be duplex, triplex, fourplex. And in almost every case, it's new construction because you're just not gonna find that inventory out there. I mean, anybody who owns a triplex or a fourplex today is doing very, very well. And the odds of them wanting to sell that is very slim, you know, very slim. Why sell it? You know, it's, it's, just, it's appreciating, demand is strong. It's always leased. It probably cash flows very well. So unless, unless you're, you know, I don't know. I can't, honestly, I can't think of why you would want to sell it <laughs> unless you're desperate for the money. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you can probably re refi it, get money out really cheap, not, not pay exactly. the, the tax, but still use the money. So, um, exactly. Are, are, are you finding single families as rentals are, are doing even better, uh, with, with COVID, you know, maybe people want more space. They want the yard. They're afraid to be in one building. Maybe some people. Um, so, are you seeing even more demand for that type of rental versus, you know, apartment? that's an interesting question. I, I have not seen that. I have not observed a preference for single family. Although I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that would prefer single family over a multi-unit. I'm not sure if people would care if it was a duplex or single family home or even a fourplex because. You're spaced out far enough, but I have heard that apartment complexes, like larger, medium to large size, meaning like in the hundreds of units, <clears throat> I, I've heard people uh, moving out, and the number one reason they're moving out, um, I shouldn't say number one across the board, but a lot, a big reason why a lot of people move out of those larger apartment complexes is because of the fear that has grown in them with COVID. They just don't want to be in a densely populated building with other people. So they've chosen to move out and move into single family homes or duplexes or whatnot somewhere else. So yeah, that, that does exist. How do you, how do you manage, you know, so many different single families in so many different markets? Because one of the, the common theme you hear from the, the guys that are doing multifamily <laughs> is you know management's easier when it's all under one building and you know single family it's, it's hard to scale but you've certainly seem to have scaled it uh, how do you how do you tackle the management issue well there is no management issue someone who anybody who says that is is somebody who is self-managing and they'd rather manage one property with multiple units than multiple properties spread out everywhere 
Um, so that, that's the only case that I can think of that 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 would apply. But all of our clients, and you know, my rule of thumb is build a portfolio of three to five properties in one market and then move to a second market, three to five there, and then three to five in another market, three to five and three to five markets. If you're doing that in each of those markets, whether it's three or four or five different markets, you're going to have a professional full service property manager or management company managing those properties for you. So you're not managing them. You, you might be quote unquote managing the managers, but that's about it. You know, so you let the property managers do their job. They have their different departments and divisions and they handle all the things from rent collection to repairs. So let the managers do their job and you don't have to worry about whether they're in one building or they're spread across town. That's what the pro property manager's job is. And it's, it's that simple. So you just, you just keep an eye on your, your accounting, stay in touch with your property managers when you need to and uh, let them do their work. You don't need to have everything in one place. How do you um, how do you find the managers in each market? Because I've you know I've heard from some investors before, even myself, have had uh, challenges in finding quality managers. <laughs> um, well, fortunately today we've had you know working relationships that have gone on for years, and and so we have these working relationships, and we know who they are, we know how they work. We, and how they operate, we have feedback, both positive and negative, if it exists. So we're just recommending and referring our people to you, the people in our network, those service providers. But in the beginning, and if you're just starting out, you have to do your homework. You have to do your due diligence, contact a bunch of property managers based on referrals and references and, and testimonials and, and their reputation online. And you need to figure it out and it, it literally interview these different property management companies to find one that you feel good about and comfortable with and that's who you end up working with so if you're just starting out it's it's legwork you know for us we've already got these established relationships so we're just referring them to our clients that work with us but yeah i mean that's I, I think everything i agree with everything you said there you got to do your your homework and um mm -hmm. a little bit of work up front is gonna save you totally. a lot of time and money and, and headache and stress and all that down the road um, yeah. Any anything else you think just advice to people starting out, you know, in, in this market investing? Yeah, well, my first piece of advice would be this. The, the best investment you can make that pays the highest returns is is the, the investment you make in yourself. Invest in what's between your ears. <laughs> you know, constantly educate yourself, listen to podcasts. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good content online, whether it be in video format or reading. Uh, books are the cheapest form of education, 10, 20 bucks a, a book. You know, there's all kinds of books you could read out there that will educate you on anything and everything to do with real estate, the economy, finance, whatever, personal development. But make that investment in yourself because, you know, that saying, the more you learn, the more you earn. There's a lot of truth in that. The more you learn, the more you earn. And, uh, and, and, you know, most of the successful people, if not all the successful people that I, I know and work with constantly read, they constantly educate themselves. And number two is, is take action because you could become the most knowledgeable person on a subject in the world. But if you don't take action, if you don't actually, you know, put the rubber to the road and start moving forward, you're not going to get anywhere. 
So make sure that you take action. And, and part of that is actually building the, the right team of people around you, you know, whether it's an acquisitions person or an acquisitions company, your lenders, your property managers, your, you know, asset protection attorney, your uh, tax advisor, you, you need the team around you, right? So you build that team to, to go on the ride, the journey with you. But if you don't take action, nothing's going to happen. So you have to do both, educate yourself and take action. And I guarantee you, if you do both of those, odds are 99.9% .9 of the time, you're going to be successful. You're going to look back five, 10 years from now and say, holy crap, wow, you know, I've accomplished a lot. So yeah, you don't, you don't actually learn it fully until you take action too. That's, that's the other part of it. Like you can 100%, yeah. do all the reading in the world, but at some point you have to learn by doing. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, you've got your, your, you've got the education component, knowledge, then you have the experience. And then as you get, you grow with both of those things, you, you gain wisdom. So you, you have to have both of those pieces of the puzzle to ultimately gain wisdom and have true success. Well, thank you for, um, for being a, a two-time uh, guest <laughs> on the show and, and, you know, giving us this amazing update on, what's been going on this, this, this last year and, and how you've reacted to COVID and what, what you think is ahead. I, I uh, you know, look forward to following up with you for a third time uh, down the road to see how this all plays out. Uh, before we sign off, uh, if people want to connect with you or, or uh, you know, learn more about what you're doing, what are, what are some of the ways they can do that? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. And thanks for, uh, you know, for the interview today and, and all everything we talked about, Dan, I'm sure your listeners um, got something out of this. But I, I appreciate the question. So really, the best way to connect with me and my team is from our two websites. Uh, the, the main website, which we've been talking about is Norada Real Estate, N-O-R-A-D-A, Norada Real Estate.com. And the sister website is Passive Real Estate Investing. .com. And that's the home of our podcast at Passive Real Estate Investing.com. And that's it all our contact infos there all right and we'll we'll make sure to put that in the show notes and the description on youtube and all that and um thank you for being on the show and to all the listeners and viewers out there thanks for tuning in we'll see you next time thanks dan thank you for tuning in to this episode of the hyper fat show subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest hyper fat shows and remember we love reviews Views help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.